0: October 17th, 2021, 12, Pursue the Father. Well, good morning church, formerly known as Watermark Wesleyan. Well, I guess we'll be Watermark Wesleyan for a few more weeks, but the odyssey of finding a new name has finally come to an end. This is the series many have been waiting for, where we will finally turn the page and close the chapter on what has been a frustrating few years. A bit of history for those who are newer to our church family. For many years, we were known as the Wesleyan Church of Hamburg. But as we became a multi-site church with locations in different communities, it didn't make sense to have Hamburg in our church name. Wesleyan Church of Hamburg Springville Crossing Campus just doesn't work. We went through a process where we renamed our church Watermark Wesleyan, and we loved the name as we rolled it out, and it quickly became our identity. Then we had trouble it came to our attention that another church had trademarked the name Watermark, and they asked us to change our name again. We were devastated. There was a period of time we wanted to fight and not change, but after cooler minds prevailed, we made the correct decision to move on from Watermark, which brings us to where we are today. Today we are beginning a series called 12, Our Future Together. Over the next five weeks, we're going to discuss 12 words that define our future together as a church. When you are talking to a friend or a family member or maybe a co-worker, and they ask what our church is all about, you will be able to rattle off these 12 words that define who we are. The number 12 has great biblical significance. 12 can be found 187 places in God's word. Revelation alone has 22 occurrences of the number. The meaning of 12, which is considered a perfect number, is that it symbolizes God's power and authority. It can also symbolize completeness or the nation of Israel as a whole. Jesus chose 12 disciples to spread the gospel to the whole world. The disciples collected 12 baskets of bread following the feeding of 5,000 in John 6. The New Jerusalem, which is made in heaven and brought down to earth by God himself, contains 12 gates made of pearl. Over each gate will be one of the 12 names of the tribes of Israel. The walls are 144 cubits high, which is 12 multiplied by itself, with the city itself being 12,000 furlongs square. As you can see, 12 carries a great amount of significance in God's Word. And throughout this series, you will see how these 12 words carry a great significance for those who call this their church home. The first seven words will come from our mission statement and then the next three from our vision statement. And the last two words are the ones you've been waiting for for a long time, the ones that people have been asking about for years. The last week of the series, we will reveal our new church name. Why at the end? Well, as we've been working on this for well over a year, we first came up with the mission and vision statements. It was a painstaking process that we feel was led by the Holy Spirit. After we sat on those statements for a while, the Lord led us to our new name. So through this series, we're going to go on the same journey. The first four weeks are going to build a foundation. So as we reveal the name, you will be able to see how it ties to and stands on our mission and vision. So here it is, the first line of our new mission statement. Pursue the Father. In a world that is full of pressure and turmoil, we all need to have time daily set aside to spend time pursuing the Father. Everything else will still be there when we are done, but there is nothing that can replace your daily time with God. To help us understand what it means to pursue the Father, we're going to dive into Psalm 63. King David, who wrote the Psalm, was a man who knew what it meant to live under pressure. The higher and more responsible the leadership position, the greater the pressures are. And David knew the pressure of problems. During his reign, his son Absalom led a rebellion against him. Can you imagine what that was like? David and his loyal followers had to flee for their lives. During that time, David spent a short while in the wilderness of Judah before he crossed the Jordan. In that barren land, fleeing for his life, feeling disgraced and rejected with an uncertain future, David wrote Psalm 63. It's one of the most well-known and loved psalms. John Chrysostom wrote, It was decreed and ordained by the primitive church fathers that no day should pass without the public reading of this very psalm. In fact, the ancient church had the practice of beginning with the singing of the psalms at every Sunday service, with Psalm 63 being called the morning hymn. So let's follow this tradition and recite the words of Psalm 63 together. I've selected the Passion Translation for those of you who know the psalm well. Often reading scripture in a different translation hits you in a very different way. Before we read Psalm 63, let me pray for our time together this morning. God, we thank you that we can be here, that we're on the brink of a a, a new page, a new chapter as a church. And Father, I pray that as we dive into the rest of the message this morning, that we would feel your Holy Spirit's presence and that you would guide us and direct us. Lord, for those of us who don't exactly know how to pursue the Father, I pray that something that is said today, something that is is brought to our attention would steer us and guide us into how to do that more, um, more adequately. So we thank you, God, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. Have you ever had the privilege of watching yourself on a large screen in front of a group of other people? (laughs) I don't recommend it. All kidding aside, there's something special when the body comes together and there's a public reading of scripture, when we join together and read the words of scripture. And, and as we do that today, it will direct our time together. So I'm going to ask if you would stand as we read. We're going to do this in a responsive reading. I'm going to read the first um, parts on the screen that I believe will be in black and then or white, and you will read the words that are in yellow. And we'll just go back and forth as we read through Psalm 63 together this morning. So it begins. O oh God of my life, I'm lovesick for you in this weary wilderness. I thirst with the deepest longings to love you more, with cravings in my heart that can't be described. Such yearnings grips such yearning grips my soul for you, my God. For your tender mercies mean more to me than life itself. How I love and praise you, God. Daily I worship you passionately and with all my heart. I overflow with praise when I come before you. For the anointing of your presence satisfies me like nothing else. You are such a rich banquet of pleasure to my soul. I sing through the night under your splendor shadow, offering up, you, offering up to you my songs of delight and joy. Those who plot to destroy me shall descend into the darkness of hell. These liars will be silenced forever, but the anointing of a king will dance and rejoice. Go ahead and have a seat. I imagine as David wrote these words, as he's fleeing for, for his life because his son is leading a rebellion against him, looking to kill him. I imagine as he wrote these words, he was probably falling on his knees and just crying out to God, Realizing that there was nothing else in the world that mattered to him at that moment because everything he had had been shattered, had been taken away. The pain that these words are full of was overshadowed by David's love for God, by his devotion to the Father. And as he's writing these, and as I'm sure they sang them time and time again, it was remembering how great and how good and how majestic the Father is. And you can hear it as David is writing these words and as we read them, the passion. And it's hard to capture that passion in the setting like this, but I bet for David, these were some of the most intimate words maybe he ever penned. His heart was broken. He was seeking and he knew the only place to find the relief for his soul was to pursue the father. To pursue him with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. To pursue God above all other things. Because everything else in David's world had fallen away. There was nothing left. But God was still there. We're going to talk about pursuing the Father today, and I hope to answer three questions through this message. So you can hold me accountable. Afterwards, you can say, Paul, you did well on that one, but I'm not so sure about number three. But here's the three questions. What does it look like to pursue the Father? For you and me in today's world and all that's going on around us, what does it look like to truly pursue the Father? The second question, what happens, what happens when you pursue the Father? And when I say that, I mean, what happens in your life? What happens in your inward being when you pursue God? Because as we'll see in just a few moments, you're changed. If you earnestly and genuinely seek to pursue the Father, you will be changed from the inside out. And the last question, as we'll see in a bit, which is the most important, is how do you pursue the Father? And we'll get to that in just a few moments. And as we talk through these three questions, this is my job, this is my task for you. I want you to um, assess where you are in each of the three. I want you to look at your life and sort of figure out if you're doing well in each of these three categories because your answer really matters. So we're gonna get our first, we're gonna jump in right off um, in verse one of Psalm 63. And I'm just gonna read it again because the language is so powerful. Oh God of my life, I'm lovesick for you. In this weary wilderness, I thirst with the deepest longings to love you more. He's lovesick. He's thirsting for God. With cravings in my heart that can't be described, such yearning grips my soul for you, my God. In those verses, we see that David is lovesick for the father. Lovesick. He can't think about anything else. Remember when you were lovesick at some point in your life? When you were pining over somebody and you had this person, and you, we'll get into this in a little bit, but when you're just so almost infatuated, hopefully not, but maybe, and the thought of that person just consumes you and you're lovesick for them and you thirst. I love how David says he thirsts for the Father, his soul is parched. There's nothing else. Nothing else can quench what's going on inside of him. And he thirsts more for God in the middle of the wilderness when everything else is falling away. He has an undescribed craving. An undescribed craving. And the yearnings for God grip his soul. What does it look like to pursue the father? It looks like David right here. It looks like David just being sick to be with God, lovesick, falling on his face in the middle of everything that's going on around him. It's a deep abiding relationship with the Father. Can I be honest with you? Sometimes it's really hard to do that, isn't it? For those of you who've been following Jesus for many years, it's hard, it can be very challenging to have that deep abiding commitment. And at times David didn't. There are many times in his story where he turned the other way and he went in his own direction and thought he knew better than God. David is also known as a murderer and an adulterer. In different times in his life, he definitely listened to his own heart as opposed to the will of God. He took his eyes off of God and did his own thing. That's why I love that right now, with all the bumps and bruises of his life, He yearns for the Father's presence. I hope that's encouraging to you. Because I know many, many of us have stories and histories or maybe even this week and things have happened in our lives. We've said things, we've done things, we've, we've acted in a way that maybe we don't feel worthy to pursue the father. But here's David who's broken before God, who's done so many things that are contrary to God's will for his life. And yet he falls before God longing for him, lovesick for his presence. I hope that's an encouragement to you that, that no matter where you've been, as we pursue the Father, whatever your story, that you can fall on your face before God, probably like David, and he grips you. He holds on to you. He loves you with a never-ending love. He created you, you know. When you were in your mother's womb, he created your inmost being. He knit you together. All the delicate places of who you are, he created your personality, your your physical presence, everything about you. He made you just the way you are. And he loves you just the way you are. With all the warts, with all the negative stuff, he wants us to pursue God in that way. David fell on his knees crying out to God. And as we, as a church, who's watermarked for just a few more weeks, as we pursue the Father, that's exactly what I hope happens for each and every one of us that we set aside our past, we set aside our history, we know the things that we've done that are contrary to God's will and plan for our lives. We know that some of them are worse than others and we set our gaze and our attention on God and we pursue him. What if that was the mark of our church? As people drove by, they knew that the people who attend this church pursue God above all else in the world. There's so many other things that demand or want our attention, but if we pushed all of those off to the side and said, you know what, above all else, it's God, and I pursue the Father. That would change us. It would change our worship when we gather together on a Sunday morning. All of a sudden, instead of the world and everything that happens through the rest of the week, you getting beat up by it as you're pursuing the Father in the middle of it, you come here ready to worship your Heavenly Father, right? To, to engage with the body of Christ, to say, for this hour each Sunday, everything else fades away. And even if I can't do it when I'm alone and I try in my own, today, this hour, I'm going to pursue God with all of who I am. I'm going to pursue the Father with reckless abandon. But it's so much more than just worshiping together. It's desiring that deep intimacy in all areas of your life at all times. I hope you worship like that when you're here, but I hope you worship like that when you're alone in your car. I hope you worship like that when no one else is around and it's just you and God and you can sing your praises. I hope that becomes a lifestyle and not just something you do. When you wake up in the morning, you're excited because it's another day. It's another day to pursue the Father, to get closer to God. To seek him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. To, to wrap your arms around him and for, him, for you to feel his embrace. That as a church, as individuals, pursuing the father becomes our deepest desire above all else. That's why it's the first two words of our mission statement. To pursue father. I liken it to when I, I first met Holly. You know, we've been married as of yesterday 22 years, which is hard to believe. It's been the, the best 22 years of my life. I can easily say that. Thank you. But do you remember, I, I remember because we met here at this place, which is interesting. We met in a room that's in the back hallway that used to be called the Youth Lounge, which isn't the Youth Lounge anymore. And I remember when I walked in for the first time, I said, oh, there she is. The one I'm going to marry. True story. I just had to convince her of the same over time. She was a little, she didn't see it as clearly as I did right off the bat. But I remember as soon as we started hanging out, all my attention, I, I wanted to be with her above all my other friends, above everything else in my world. Do you remember those feelings and that emotion? When you find that one right person we hung out together. We, we didn't text because we really didn't have cell phones yet. So you can date without cell phones. Those of you who are younger than some of the rest of us, it can be done. We'd pick up the phone. We'd talk on the phone. We'd hang out all the time to all hours of the morning. Well, and top midnight, that's as long as I have. But my heart was totally committed. And that doesn't even scratch the surface of, it, of what it looks like to truly pursue the Father. When we really realize who God is and the difference he makes in his lives and we give our hearts to pursuing him with all of who we are, that should be our, the same attitude we have, that we pursue God with a never-ending desire to be with him no matter what. It becomes our heart's desire. So what does it look like to pursue the father? It's this desire to be closer to him than anything else above all else. When my kids were young and I'd get home after being out for the day at work or wherever I ended up being, I remember they would run to me screaming, Daddy, and grab onto my legs and hold on tight. They don't do that anymore. They'd probably knock me over as I walk in the door. Or when my kids were very young and they used to curl up and used to hold them forever as they were just these precious little bundles of joy. As we pursue the Father, we run up And we grab onto his leg and hold on for dear life. That we curl up in his presence and we just spend time in solitude and in quiet, knowing that he's our Father. As we pursue him in that way, this church will start to look different. As we pursue our Abba, our Father, we change from the inside out. So, what happens when you pursue the Father? What happens in a person when they go after God in this way? Well, David gets some clues in Psalm 63. In verse 5 through 7, he writes this. I overflow with praise when I come before you. For the anointing of your presence satisfies me like nothing else. You are such a rich banquet of pleasure to my soul. I lie awake each night thinking of you and reflecting on how you help me like a father. I sing through the night under your splendor shadow, offering up to you my songs of delight and joy. When we pursue the father, we're overcome with the desire to praise him, to worship him. We're overcome and we're satisfied like no other time in our lives. This overwhelming satisfaction as we're in his presence, as we pursue him with all of who we are. Pleasure floods our souls. As I read these words of David, I want that. I want to overflow with praise when I come before him. I want my soul to be satisfied. It looks a lot like when when somebody pursues the Father in this way, what does it look like? It looks like the fruit of the Spirit coming out of them, just flowing out of them. In Galatians 5, Paul writes about the fruit of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. As we look at those, the fruit of the spirit, I, I'd like to break them up into three different categories, if you will. The first three are a Godward expression of our love. The first of the fruit, it, it mentions love. Nagape love, this overwhelming love and desire to be with God. As that is present in our lives, then joy flows out of us. Why is that person so joyful? Because they know and love God. And they love others well. They're full of joy. And as you love and you're full of joy in that way, peace just surrounds you. Do you know the people in your life who, who you can say that about? They're, they just love God differently. They're full of joy no matter what happens. And they're just peaceful. Those are the people you want to be around, aren't they? The ones who embody those first three fruit of the spirit. And and actually, as it talks about the fruit of the spirit, it's it's nine pieces of the same fruit, but we'll take it in sections. So the first three maybe look to Godward, look Godward. The second three look toward us as man, the manward, and how we interact with others. When the fruit of the spirit are present in your life, you're a kinder person. You're you're full of goodness and faithfulness. Patience flows out of you. When you and I pursue God with all of who we are, the world will notice because we'll be filled with goodness and kindness. We won't lord it over people. We won't lord our relationships over people, but they will notice that something's different. We will not choose to oppose people for no good reason, but we will be kind in our dealings with others, full of goodness. People will speak differently of you. Our world is lacking kindness and goodness right now. Everyone has their issue or what they want to push forward, but what if we as a church said, no, we're going to be kind. In all of our dealings, in all of our interactions, we're going to pursue God and we're going to act differently than the rest of the world. I think people would take notice. I think people would see us as a different place with different standards and a different way of interacting with those in our world. But that comes through pursuing the Father and the fruit of the Spirit coming out of us. And then self-word, as you look at the last of the fruit, faithfulness suggests that we're dependable and people can count on us. Gentleness, sometimes called meekness, can be a negative thing. But Jesus even said, I am meek and lowly in heart. Moses was referred to as being very meek. So if you and I are meek, that is a blessing to our world. We don't have to push ourselves on people, but when we let them see who Jesus is in us, we have a greater influence than we ever would any other way when we take that attitude of gentleness and then self-control. We watch what we say and how we say it. We just carry ourselves differently. I think as we pursue the Father and as we really understand what it means, this is what comes out of us. This is what happens when we pursue the Father. We just look different. What happens when you pursue the Father? First, you see God differently. Second, you interact with those in our world in a different way. And third, you carry yourself just different, in a more positive way that attracts people to yourself and that ultimately shows the world who your Jesus is. The last question, though, is the most important. The last question is, "How do you pursue the Father? How do I do this? What does it look like?" Let me start off. The only way—there's no other way. The only way to pursue, pursue the Father is to know Jesus. There's no other answer. The only way to pursue the father is to know that Jesus is the one who who came and lived a perfect life, died a sinner's death and rose for our sins and to believe on him as Lord and Savior. That is the only way to pursue the father. In John, John records these words of Jesus in John 15. Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Showing yourselves to be my disciples. The only way to pursue the Father is to be connected to the vine. Earlier in the same chapter, Jesus says this I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. When Jesus says, I am the true vine, it opens up the idea that there are false vines. There are false things to put your whole heart, soul, mind into. There are false religions, false gods, false philosophies of our world that if you follow them, you will be thrown into the pile and burnt up. But as Jesus is the true vine, and as we're connected to the true vine, we have life we have the ability to pursue the father when we're connected to the true vine because the father's the gardener making this all grow. And if we stay connected to Jesus, if we call on him as Lord and savior, he, he has a way of, of shaping our futures, of shaping who we are in our hearts and our minds and our souls. And we become, we can become connected to the vine and pursue the father in a whole new way. Some who are sitting here or watching online, you may be saying, but I'm not connected to the Father. I'm not connected to the vine. I don't know how to do that or what that looks like. It's, It's this idea that you've talked about. I really don't understand it. If that's you, some of us will be here after service, some, you know, staff and others. Come ask us. I'd love to tell you how to connect to the vine, how to begin a relationship with Jesus that will allow you to pursue the Father with all of who you are. When I grew up in my early teen and teen years, I spent a lot of time down on Chautauqua Lake. Friends of ours had a sailboat, and it was one of my great joys just to be out on the lake, seeing how fast we could get this thing going, keeling it over. It was was a great joy. But sometimes we'd forget to crank down the centerboard. Those of you who sail, you may know what I'm talking about. Those of you who don't, the centerboard comes down in the middle of the boat. Some boats have keels, some boats have centerboards, but it allows you to steer because it, without it, you're just blown by the wind. The waves take you here and there, and you have no ability to set your course and direction. You're just blown off course by every little breeze that comes your way. I believe people who don't call Jesus Lord and Savior are like that, where they are just blown and tossed by the wind and the waves of life. If you're tired of drifting through life in that way and you truly want to pursue the Father, maybe today's the day where you say, Jesus, I want to know you as my Lord and Savior. It might be the best day you've ever had. As we do those things, as we pursue the Father in that way, as we seek to follow him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we will begin to experience what David wrote about and how we can be lovesick for him. We can thirst and crave after him. As we've developed our mission and our vision statement, we've also developed three values, actually seven values, and three of which which I'll share with you today. Seven things that we hold dear to us. We have our mission and our vision, but these are what undergird all of that. And the first is scripture. If you want to pursue the Father, you need to be soaking in and taking in scripture. And we've defined it this way. Scripture, we keep the eternal truth of scripture central because it is God-inspired and authoritative for salvation in all matters of Christian living. As a church, you can be sure that we're going to stand on the truth of Scripture no matter what. We'll interpret it to the best of our abilities. I'll tell you, even after sometimes we interpret it, and re- there's always someone who says, you ever think about it this way? And that exists, but to the best of our ability. And the best of our theology and what we stand on, you can know that we're going to follow as every word of this and treat it with the authority it deserves. We're going to stand on the truth of scripture as a church. And how do you pursue the father? You, you read what's in the Bible. Our second value is prayer. We connect directly with God individually and collectively. At times we listen, repent, lament, give thanks and intercede for ourselves and others through the Holy Spirit. I've recently read a book where it calls prayer the lifeblood of the Christian's existence. And the author goes on to say that if you're not praying, if you're not spending time with God in prayer, you really, your, your faith is worthless, As a church, we're going to be a praying church. And one of those ways was mentioned earlier with called to pray tonight. Yes, I hope those who are intercessors come and pray. Those who love prayer come and experience it. But I ask that if you don't necessarily know how to pray, if it's not something you're used to, that maybe you still come tonight. As God's people gather together and pray in that way, we'll begin to see God work in our midst in ways we've never dreamt possible but I really feel that as we gather in prayer and have those opportunities where we teach each other how to pray and learn and experience God in that way, we will see him move. If you want to pursue the Father, being in prayer is one of the best ways to do it. Just sitting with him, speaking sometimes, listening other times, sometimes just in silence before him, soaking in what he might have for you. And the third value we're going to talk a lot about is worship. We worship God every day in awe and wonder through our thoughts, speech, and actions. We're not talking about worship when we gather here. You notice it doesn't say when we get together on a Sunday morning in worship. I hope that you worship throughout the week. When you see the beauty of nature, you say, that's God's fingerprints. When you see a life change and you see people making different decisions, you worship because you see how God's at work. That maybe you listen to worship music on your own and you take it in in the car, at home somewhere, maybe even the shower, you just crank it and you sing at the top of your lungs. That's the only time people don't criticize me is when I sing by myself. But you spend time worshiping in that way. In scripture, in prayer, in worship, pursuing the father. How do you pursue the father? You stay connected to the vine. You spend time in God's word and prayer and and worship with others and alone. Sometimes it's right to pray together. Hopefully when your community group gets together, part of what you do every week is you pray. Pray about the things you've just talked about. Pray about your lives together, but you spend time in prayer. And then I hope you are in a community group where you have other friends who you're going after faith together, where you can share the struggles and the joys. And as you pursue God as as a group, as you pursue the Father in that way, you will see him in amazing ways. Psalm 63, 8 as we wrap up. With passion, I pursue and cling to you because I feel your grip on my life. I keep my soul close to your heart. With passion, we cling to you, Father, because I feel the Father's grip on my life. I keep my soul close to his heart the first two words we're gonna talk about in this series are pursue the Father. We've cut out the prepositions and, and, and the articles and all of the other words, and we're just gonna say pursue Father. And as we add the other 10 words through this series, you will see a beautiful picture painted of who we are and who we're gonna be. A picture that we've prayed about, we've sought God on time and time again. And I feel he is pleased with. But for today, pursue the Father. We have the privilege of receiving communion together today. And what a great way to wrap up a message on pursuing the Father. Because in communion, we see how God pursued us. He knew that we were full of sin, that there was no way for you and me to ever have a relationship with him. So he made a way, he pursued us through sending Jesus to this world. Of sending Jesus as a perfect sacrifice for our sins, for our transgressions, for our iniquities, so that we may come to God. And today we get to, step into this tradition, this sacrament. It's so much more than a tradition. This sacrament that was set up by Jesus himself. Let me read these words to you from 1 Corinthians. The same night in which he was handed over, he took bread and gave thanks. Then he distributed to the disciples and said, take and eat your fill. It is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He did the same with the cup of wine after supper and said, this cup seals the new covenant with my blood. Drink it. And whenever you drink this, do it in remembrance of me. We don't ask that you're a member of our church to receive communion, but we do ask that you know who Jesus is and that you've asked him to be your Lord and savior that you're following after him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Father, we thank you for this time where we can come before you. We can join in with your disciples and with millions of people before us and receive communion together this morning. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice for us your sacrifice that paved the way for us to have eternal life, your sacrifice that forever changed the course of history. And as we receive the the bread and drink the juice today, I pray that you would do a work in our lives and that we would understand maybe more clearly today than we have in the past, how rich and selfless and life-giving your sacrifice was for us. So we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would take the cracker. This is the body of the Lord Jesus Christ given for you. Preserve your soul and body into everlasting life. Take and eat this, remembering Christ's sacrifice for you and be grateful. This is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ shed for you. Preserve your soul and body into everlasting life, remembering that Christ's blood was shed for you. Preserve your soul and body to everlasting life. Take and drink this, remembering Jesus' sacrifice, and be grateful. Like I mentioned a few moments ago, if you're unsure, if unsure what a relationship with Jesus looks like, if you want to be tied to the vine, come see me afterwards. I'll be right up front. We can talk through it. If there's a lineup of like uh, 20 or more people, could someone come help me with that? I'd appreciate that. Um, But we're gonna finish up with one more song. And I pray that this song would be your prayer as you leave. That as we sing about Jesus and his sacrifice, these words would sink deep into your heart.